Howdy, Green Rush Nation. Producer Shea Gunther here with a quick programming note on today's show, where we are running a very cool cross-episode of Marijuana Today with host Ben Larson diving into the international scene, scoping out what legal cannabis looks like outside of the United States. You do not want to miss this episode. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to a very special international episode of Marijuana Today. We're recording Wednesday, April 20th, 2022, and I'm your host, Ben Larson. Happy 420, everyone. I couldn't think of a better way to kick off the holiday, or whatever day you're listening to this, than being here with you. How you doing, Marijuana world? I'm super excited to bring you today a first of its kind at least for this year, Pod. Uh, oh, what the hell? Who, who's going to fact check me? The, the first ever multinational, multi-continent cannabis current events podcast recorded on 4-20-2022. And why wouldn't we host such a show? Cannabis is international, is it not? Thank you, Producer Shea, uh, for entertaining my crazy ideas. Listeners, please hit me up on the socials uh, and let me know what you think. And, and perhaps we'll make this a thing. Uh, to cur- encourage you all to do so, uh, we'll skip the sponsor ads today and and uh, let you listen to all of our voices unfettered. Many of you probably don't know this, uh, but when I first jumped into the industry back in 2015, I was doing quite a bit of traveling overseas, uh, speaking at tech conferences and whatnot. Um, and I took that opportunity, that platform, uh, to shift my focus from talking about tech to conversations about cannabis. And and I began educating folks on the miseducation we had received most of our lives, um, if not all of our lives. Uh, I I spoke about the false stigma that that has purposefully built and weaponized against communities of color, how the collateral damage of that stigma had stretched as far as our children, our military veterans, our aging community. Um, It was very early on in most parts, people were listening intently, but it was just very clear that, you know, weed was for Rastafarians and potheads or drug lords. And um, uh, it was it was just very unfortunate. And actually, that is what really helped build the the advocate in me. Um, I knew very little about cannabis before before 2015. Uh, today, I'm thrilled uh, with the progress that we're seeing. Uh, legalization efforts in places like Germany, Thailand, Mexico and beyond. Um, I'm, I'm even more excited to be here today and pre- bring together three, yes, three um, of my friends from, from those places to talk about our favorite plant and the industry and movement that revolves around it. First up, we have my longtime friend in the industry and movement. In fact, uh, we actually met right as I was launching Gateway in 2015. Uh, she attended one of my recruiting events <laughs> when we were first launching. Uh, she's the former head of growth at Vertosa. That that name sounds familiar. And now the founder and CEO of Kunpu, an AAPI-oriented brand determined to educate and make cannabis accessible to the international Asian community, especially those in Southeast Asia. Welcome to the show, C. Simone Pepon. 
Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for spending your uh, 420 morning with me. Next up, hailing from Mexico City, we have the former director of Latin America for YouTube and now managing partner of Yaks Capital, a multi-stage fund based out of Mexico City that focuses on helping portfolio companies develop in Mexico. Welcome to the pod, John Farrell. Thank you, Ben. Happy 420. And to be clear, Yaks invests mostly in the United States today with an eye towards Mexico once the, the market develops and once the law allows it. Excellent. We are going to dive into that very poignant topic. <laughs> Last but certainly not least, we have Frankfurt, Germany-based serial cannabis entrepreneur. That's not a title I get to often prescribe. The co-founder and CEO of the largest German cannabis company coming in at 250 employees, the Bloomwell Group a company offering a fully integrated universe of distinct cannabis-related brands from wholesale to direct-to-consumer, from flowers to accessories, from medical use to lifestyle consumption. Welcome to the show, Nicholas Kuprianis. Did I get that wow. right? Did I? Did I? Very good, very good. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed, man. Thanks very much uh, for, the, for, the, for the great introduction. It's a pleasure being here and happy for 20. Happy 420 to you. Your last name threw me off. I was, I was expecting to pronounce something German and I came in here with something Greek. <laughs> it's very difficult. A lot of, a lot of different uh, roots in me, right? Greek, German, U.S. Also, my mother's born in the U.S. So, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of different heritages. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to jump in. Uh, three first-time guests to the show. So, welcome to all three of you. Um, that might also be a first for the show. Uh, three people who are no strangers to the industry and movement. Um, and because this is a bit of a special episode, uh, we're going to kind of wing it in format. <laughs> you know, we, we typically run MJ Today with three segments and current events. And, you know, um, as, as we were talking about before we hopped on the show, like we get a lot of current events coming out of Mexico, Germany, and Thailand. Um, but it's, it's always kind of shrouded in this mystique and we're, we're not exactly sure, you know, how excited to be about some of these opportunities. And so we're going to rely on you, but before we get there and being that it's 420 and being that your new guest to the show, I want to start with you, um, and see Simone ladies first. I'm, I'm just going to start with a simple question. Like why cannabis? Like why the cannabis industry? Like why are you here? Why are you on the show? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm on the show because you invited me. So. <laughs> oh, fair point. Fair point. I am influential like that. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, I'm also ta- excited to talk about Thailand here. Uh, why? Why cannabis for for me? Uh, I mean, I, I grew up with the plant uh, as a medicine. My mom used to put the little bud in our pho. Uh, they never saw it as a gateway drug. They saw it more as um, a medicinal option that helped us. And so I've been a lifelong uh, fan <laughs> of the flower. Uh, I was consuming it before I even knew what it was. Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to say, what, is, is there a definitive moment in your life where you put two and two together and you're like, oh, wait, yeah. this thing in my pho is the same thing that this drug that everyone's saying not to touch? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I grew up in a small farm town. So, you know, uh, my family, uh, it's a family of cultivators. Um, you know, I didn't put two and two together until my college roommate 
gave me her her weed uh, to share. And I was like, wait, this this looks kind of like my mom's herbs. Because I, you know, I grew up so sheltered in a small farm town of like 20,000 people only. Uh, you know, you don't get out much. Uh, what people do out there is they're constantly on their farms, pushing cows, growing crops, things like that. And so when I put two and two together, I was just like, wait, this looks like what my mom uses as an herb, what my dad grows in the backyard. Uh, let me call my parents. <laughs> like, mom, have you been putting marijuana in our foil broth? You know, and lo and behold, yeah, that's what yeah. it was. Um, <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's what you need to kind of calm uh, a big family down and keep them chill when you have 16 kids. You're 16 <laughs> kids. Oh my God. That'll, that'll send anyone to the plant. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Excellent. Uh, that's wild. Uh, I can't imagine just the, the disconnect there being like, wow, like people are so afraid of this plant. And um, it's clearly a good reason to be involved. John, uh, was your mom sneaking bud into, into your soups as a child? <laughs> Not that I can remember. Um, but, um, but what brought me here, I'd say we're three different streams. I had been working at Google and around 2016, I felt that the venture capital ecosystem was coming of age in Mexico. So I left to start my own fund, which I eventually merged with another fund. And we're focused mostly on technology opportunities. Uh, when we started to identify opportunities to invest in the cannabis space that were outside the mandate of the fund, but that uh, that presented, um, you know, attractive uh, return potential. Uh, so much so that I eventually decided to to leave the, the fund as a managing partner. I stayed on as GP and to start Yaks to tackle this opportunity. So I, I would have to be honest with you and say that the first thing I saw was an opportunity for extraordinary returns. Uh, but why did I feel comfortable in this space? I did grow up. Uh, I went to school in the States and um, went to college in the States. And, you know, cannabis has been a part of my life with, with really no stigma. Um, but where, where it does become a little more personal for me, even though they didn't put it in my cereal, is I was actually, even though John Farrell sounds like an American name, I was born in Colombia and uh, I grew up in Venezuela. And now I've been living in Mexico for more than a decade. And... Uh, I've been very frustrated with the results of this, these failed um, prohibitionist policies. Um, and, um, and so in some ways, I, I feel uh, doubly energized. It's not just a matter of the returns. It's just, you know, how can we accelerate a movement to the legal markets to get all the economic benefits, the benefits of the plant, eliminate the stigma, and, uh, and to kind of correct what I always felt was... Um, was so unfortunate for countries like uh, Colombia and Mexico that were stigmatized because of these failed policies. I think it was just a couple of weeks ago that I saw in the United States, cannabis was the number one job creator, 100,000 new jobs. There's more than 300,000 people working in that space. Um, imagine the employment opportunities across the Americas and across the world uh, once we have a, a, a legal framework in place. Um, you know, $4 billion in tax revenue across all the different states that have legalized last year. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm, I'm seeing an opportunity to make extraordinary returns for Yaks and for our investors. Um, but I'm, I'm also thinking this is an incredible opportunity to contribute to the development of, of Latin America and, um, and to create, um, you know, social justice because what's happened up until now is just not, is not right. Amen. Yeah. It is wild to see all the job postings in the industry right now. Like we just attended a, a job fair uh, that was in Oakland. It was targeted to kind of re-entry, you know, people coming out of out of prison and getting back into the workforce. And 
the number of open positions, the number of willing you know participants. It was just like so energizing and, and amazing. Um, also, just like a little cognitive disconnect with just also the challenges that the the, the headwinds that we face in the the regulated market right now uh, in the U.S. So um, exciting things um, mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, Nicholas, you, you run a company of, of, of 250 employees in Germany. Um, I guess things are moving out there. <laughs> it's, uh, you, you, you have uh, some decent traction. Uh, am, I, am I too late? Am I late to the game? What, what's happening in Germany? Definitely, Ben. But um, to, be, to be clear, uh, Germany is the, the biggest medical cannabis market in Europe uh, so far, with almost 200,000 uh, patients rapidly increasing. Uh, if you look at Canada, California, for example, and compare it to Germany, uh, one to two to three percent in California, for example, qualify for medical use and cannabis. If you display that to the to the population of Germany of 82 million inhabitants, right? Um, Germany is potentially the biggest cannabis uh, medical cannabis market in the world, and also potentially, I mean, we just had a uh, election in Germany in November, new government was chosen and the new government chose to actually legalize cannabis in Germany. So also there with 82 million inhabitants, Germany will become the biggest cannabis market, domestic cannabis market uh, in the world. So yeah, maybe you missed out something then. <laughs> that's why I'm here. Right? All right. Excellent. But th that that's a great point. You are here, and uh, you've been in the industry well before uh, the the new election occurred. And so, how did you end up here? What what was your unique insight that got you here, or personal driver? Because uh, this is not, like I mentioned, this isn't your first rodeo. Like you've you uh, were part of the Canada Medical Pharma uh, Group, uh, and then Pharmaco, and, and it looks like a couple others. So, like, talk to us about your journey. How how did you get into this gig? A long, a long ride. Uh, so, uh, yeah, European cannabis pioneer, uh, one of the first to actually sold medical cannabis in Germany back in 2017 after the, the new law got passed. Um, I've been, like you mentioned, I've been founding and building companies for more than five years in the space now. And, uh, yeah, currently CEO of Boomwell Group, the biggest and vertically integrated uh, cannabis company in Germany with uh, more than 250 employees. Um, how did I get here? So, uh, like I told you before, uh, my mother is, uh, is born in the U.S. Um, so despite my Greek and German roots, I'm also a U.S. citizen. Part of my family lives in San Diego. So we've been always traveling to the U.S. and, you know, did some, did some road, uh, road trips around, around, around California. And I saw the cannabis industry emerging in Cali back in 2015, of course, still uh, medical. Mm -hmm. And for me, as somebody who always wanted to be an entrepreneur, who always wanted to found his own company, that was a huge market potential and a huge opportunity for me. And I was hooked immediately. So I promised myself when this ever happens in Germany, I will definitely uh, be a part of it. And uh, yeah, my, my hopes became reality pretty fast. And I saw a shift in, in, in regulations happening at the end of uh, 2016, which actually led to the medical legalization in Germany. And I pretty fast joined the newly emerging industry immediately. And yeah, like I, saw, like I told you, one of the first uh, who, who sold cannabis in Germany. 
after that. Awesome. Very good. All right. So everyone has a little bit of connection to the U.S. So you guys can help us draw the the nexus between between all these countries here. Um, so uh, Nicholas mentioned uh, eighty two. I think maybe even you guys might be up to eighty four million people now in in Germany. Depends um, who you ask, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's between eighty two and eighty four, right? And then we have Thailand ringing in around seventy ish million, I, I, I believe. Um, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, how, how big is Laos? Uh, <laughs> I mean, Laos isn't even as big as California <laughs> yeah, yeah. country itself. So, gotcha. That's what that's the size comparison there. <laughs> and then we have Mexico. That's uh, probably the heavyweight at 131 million. Um, plus, I think there's a lot of just talk and hope that Mexico could be a springboard uh, for into other South American. Uh, countries and and even as an exporter to uh, the world at large. Um, so, John, I'm going to actually let me, let me share some information on that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, kind of reinforces the points you're making. I think definitely it's a very promising market uh, from an internal consumption perspective. You said 130 million people, one trillion GDP, and uh, you know some comp markets uh, that provide perspective: 25 billion dollar alcohol market a $30 billion pharma market. So there's no doubt that whether it's um, internal companies or whether it's US or global companies looking to serve this local market, th there will be a thriving market once we have the regulatory framework in place. Um, but the other part I think is equally important. Mexico is a cultivation and manufacturing hub. Um, Mexico exported roughly $40 billion of agricultural products last year. And um, it has such competitive advantages in terms of climate, in, in terms of infrastructure, um, proximity to the world's largest market, which is the US. And, um, and I think that there's other markets that have taken the lead to try to position themselves as potential cultivation centers. Mm -hmm. You know, like the amount of money that went um, into Colombia, for example, from Canadian LPs, from local investors, um, you know, and some of them um, invested heavily in acres of cultivation, GMP labs, um, but the export market is still not quite there, right? If in the U.S. you can't export between states, um, you know, how friendly will they be to large wholesale imports from, um, from Colombia or in Germany, right? Um, mm -hmm. um, I think eventually that market will develop. I'm hopeful that it will. But I think uh, a country like Mexico uh, that has the same competitive advantages in terms of cultivation and manufacturing, but has a local market to be addressed as soon as the law allows it, I think is a winning combination. So I imagine um, eventually we're going to see more and more investment in Mexico taking advantage of the local consumption and um, also setting up a, a base here to, to export to the world once we have the legal frameworks that, that allow that. Um, so I think that's a, a very exciting potential for, for Mexico. Today, just to give you a little bit more color, um, we have um, a regulatory framework since June 2017 for medicinal marijuana. Mm. You, can't, you can't cultivate and you can't manufacture locally yet. Um, you can import um, to sell with uh, licenses from uh, the corresponding government agencies. Um, then we had a, a great moment where products with less than 1% THC, um, the previous administration had actually granted 66 licenses to 11 companies and they were operating legally. When the new administration came in, they kicked all of that back. Some companies continued operating with injunctions. Others went ahead and applied for new licenses. So now we have a hot uh, bunch of uh, 
companies, some operating with injunctions, some with new licenses that are offering CBD products in the market. And that's starting to take off. It's very incipient, but you are starting to see that in, um, in pharmacies and um, in, in mass media. So the CBD market is just beginning. Medicinal market is just beginning. The national healthcare system actually prescribed the first uh, marijuana prescription to a, to a cancer patient, uh, which was, a, which was a, a major milestone. And last March, uh, I think it was yeah March 2021, uh, we had Congress pass a more comprehensive bill that would enable cultivation, manufacturing at scale, and legalize the rec market. Well, what's interesting about the law here in Mexico is once the Supreme Court sees enough cases, uh, and in this case, it was five cases that went all the way to the Supreme Court, where, where the Supreme Court had to decide whether it was um, a violation of their constitutional and human rights to preclude uh, these consumers from using marijuana. One very famous case here in Mexico was uh, an epileptic child uh, who could only be treated with CBD, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. How could you preclude, how could you limit this uh, access to the plant for the only thing that's been able to help this child? Mm-hmm. And there were five cases in total. And with that, you basically have the precedent for the judicial to order the, the legislature to, to pass the necessary laws. Because today, as it stands today, the Supreme Court is saying it's a violation of your human and constitutional rights to prohibit access to the plant. So right now we're all in the edge of our seats. Congress already passed one version of the law, which by the way, had a lot of flaws and it wasn't very business friendly. It was more in favor of like personal cultivation, communities cultivating. Um, but the Senate has kind of pushed back because they want a more comprehensive reform that would allow um, this to be a driver of growth for the Mexican economy and a driver of, of, of tax revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was supposed to happen last year. We're now at the edge of their seats, hoping that um, this, this passes this year. Uh, we've talked to uh, leadership at both the Congress, at the executive, and even in the Senate, and everybody thinks it's very likely to pass in the next 12 to, to 18 months, but it's anyone's guess as to when this will pass. It's a little bit like what we're seeing in the federal government in the U.S. at this point. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing that they're kind of very reminiscent of of Charlotte Figge and, and the impact that she had here in the U.S.? And that was actually one of the the narratives in, uh, that I was bringing over uh, to Germany when I when I was when I was speaking there, um, so we like to do this on the show. If you had to predict, like when we would actually start seeing kind of a, a recreational or adult use um, market in in Mexico that is worth, you know, turning towards and getting U.S. companies down there and and you know proliferating Mexico or investing locally in Mexico, you know, when do you think that will really begin? 70% confidence interval that it will happen between 2022 and 2023. Oh, okay. Excellent. Very good. This but is but great that, timing that, then. <laughs> but that's, that's a regulatory framework. Then depending on whether you're using existing government agencies or whether you had to create a new cannabis institute, that was one of the things that was up in the air, basically like setting it all up so that you can actually apply for licenses and begin cultivating and manufacturing. That might be another 18 to 24 months after that. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, being realistic, uh, a three to four year time frame. Gotcha. gotcha. But, but, but today we do have a medicinal opportunity, which is gaining steam. Now uh, you can sell medical marijuana through compound pharmacies. Um, and uh, maybe we, we, we may have the medicinal part um, unlocked first, as we've seen in, in the U S and, and in Germany. 
Um, and, uh, and we had the CBD opportunity and, uh, you know, it's an open question. What happens with some of the other cannabinoids, which are not regulated, whether they'll uh, present new market opportunities as well. Yeah. Quick question yeah. from Germany, uh, John, what about the health insurance system in, in, in Mexico regarding medical cannabis? Does they cover the cost or is uh, not yet, progress? not yet. And then Colombia did. And when it did, as you would expect, it was a major inflection point. Does the German healthcare system cover that now? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, after 2017, when uh, when legalization took uh, place for medical purposes in general, um, the health insurance companies pay for for the cost of treatment in Germany. Very good. And in C. Simone, uh, we've been seeing a lot of legalization news in in Thailand. Where, I mean, I've I've seen images and and articles about infused cannabis bars, but really they're just like dropping fan leaves on top of the cocktails. And I'm like, <laughs> and those of us in the U S we know that's a bunch of hocus pocus. That's not really an infused beverage. Uh, um, well, there's a, there's a lot of misinformation going out there in the media around Thailand's legalization. Um, we know that they came onto the scene, activated the Southeast Asian market with their legalization uh, during pandemic year in 2020. Um, and there's there's a lot of confusion of whether it's fully legalized uh, recreationally, which it's actually not. There's still people getting incarcerated for it. And a lot of what's out there in social media right now, you definitely see uh cafes popping up, cannabis cafes, mm -hmm. cannabis shops. Uh, technically, what they're only allowed to sell for consumption is the leaves, the stems, the roots. Uh, if you're growing uh, <laughs> cannabis out there without a license, you're still getting arrested. If you're caught with THC in your system, you're still getting arrested. Um, anyone that is licensed to produce and cultivate in Thailand, they have to donate their buds, their flowers to the hospital so that it can be converted for medicinal use um, and can only be accessed by a doctor's prescription. So there's a lot of fun uh, videos, TikToks, uh, news articles coming out about cannabis doing uh, Thailand doing full legalization. But in fact, that's actually not even it's not there yet. Um, they have plans to remove it from their scheduled five narcotics list uh, in June. Um, as in any country, it is election season. So there's a lot of hype around what's going on with cannabis and Thailand being a tourism destination for cannabis. Mm -hmm. uh, but in reality, there's still a lot of obstacles, um, a, a lot of strict uh, regulations in place. Um, come June, uh, you know, things will be a little more uh, lenient, but still not fully legalized. And and what about our, our sister plant, uh, hemp and CBD and, and all that? Well, there's there's definitely better opportunity for hemp, um, you know, for companies abroad coming into the market. Uh, that's where we get to have a little fun um, here stateside, because well, one one difference here in Thailand is that um, you can't come in as as full ownership into the market. You have to partner up with existing companies in the market uh, with a minority share. And uh the public opinion is in favor of CBD. Uh, so that's pushing changes in regulations. There's actually some laws circulating the parliament at the moment, which will allow uh, CBD 
in food and beverage products, uh, but with under a content of 0.2% THC. Um, and if that passes come this summer, uh, a lot of companies like myself out here at stateside have the opportunity of entering the market uh, with an existing partnership. Well, as, as we found here in the U.S., uh, maybe people will start getting creative with what 2% means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and Nicholas, in, in Germany, like, um, it seems like an obvious place to, to uh, import cannabis. Uh, the, the weather there isn't particularly great unless you have some, you know, super indoor facilities, which I, I'm sure is an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So I, I and I and I remember like we we saw a lot of news uh a few years back with like the the uh Canadian companies arranging, you know, quote unquote pipelines to Germany and setting up those arrangements. What what is the current kind of import export opportunity or is there a big um you know uh market for growing in Germany locally? Like what's what's kind of what what what's the what's the opportunity there? Um or is it likely that we're going to see it all shipping from Mexico in, in, in two years? Um, great question, by the way. Um, let's, let's, let's take our audience and, and you a little bit uh, through the, the journey of and the development of the cannabis market in Germany. I mean, before March 2017, we had 1,000, 1,000 uh, patients in Germany with an extraordinary permission of the Bee Farm, which is a narcotic agency, to actually consume cannabis for their health issues, issues right? Um, this permission was granted on an individual basis, and the, the patient needs to cover the cost. That changed after March 2017, and uh, doctors could prescribe medical cannabis for up to 81 indications in Germany. So basically everything, and also health insurance companies, everybody's health, health insured in, in Germany, by the way. It's not like the US or, or uh, Canada. So everybody has uh, health insurance coverage in Germany. And Amazing. health insurance companies have to cover uh, the cost, right? Mm -hmm. So that changed the market a lot. The market was rapidly increasing in size, right? We needed more and more cannabis at the beginning. It was not a demand issue, obviously. It was more of a supply issue. We only had Vedrocom, the Netherlands, the Dutch company uh, in the Netherlands, which actually exported cannabis to Germany and couldn't satisfy the need. So German companies, small wholesalers back in the days, uh, were looking for other sources of cannabis. And as you know, when pharmaceutical cannabis or medical cannabis comes into the EU, you have something called EU GMP, which needs to be met, which was very difficult to be met by uh, companies outside of the European Union. But we only had the Netherlands cultivating uh, cannabis, medical cannabis in Europe, and that was it. So we were looking for, for uh, Canadian companies back in the days because Canada was and is still the flagship market for for uh, cannabis companies and for cannabis cultivation uh, in the world. We went to Canada and uh, took a, a, a close look to all the companies who, who were around, right? For example, I did uh, the market entrance for MedRelief back in the days together with, uh, with Canamedical. And um, what we saw is that actually nobody really met the EU GMP guidelines. So mm -hmm. it took us a little while to actually get Canadian companies up to the level we needed them to be in order to export to European Union and especially to Germany. But that happened after 18 months, 
Right? So uh, by mid of 2018, um, of course, it was crazy back in the days. You can you could import as much as cannabis uh, you want. You could sell it. Right? So everybody was founding wholesalers. Then uh, today we have 120 wholesalers uh, in in Germany who ba who basically distribute medical ca cannabis to pharmacies because everybody was trying to meet uh, the demand. What we see now is that also. European cultivators, for example, in Portugal and Spain, and also Netherlands are ramping up, right? Um, are getting access to the market and are ramping up their, their cultivation capacities. And, and, and Europe is gaining its independence, and especially Germany. We also had a, a tender for the German cultivation, right? Um, took us forever. First crop was harvested last year in June, uh, in June 2021. But still, uh, we have a cultivation in Germany of 2.6 tons annually, which is basically nothing. So still, Germany is still relying on, on, on imports heavily. We imported 20 tons of uh, pharmaceutical cannabis or medical cannabis last year. Uh, so that is the current status a little bit um, of the medical market in Germany rapidly, rapidly uh, increasing um, demand, of course. Uh, we, we satisfied the need through European cultivation, through Canadian supply. And the most important issue, and that's why we also founded under the Bloomwell umbrella, Algier Care, which is Europe's leading medical cannabis, uh, medical cannabis treatment telemedicine company, right, with more than 7,500 patients uh, in Germany, was access. Because in Germany, the, the biggest mistake the German government did when actually legalizing medical cannabis was that they didn't do a holistic approach, right, for every single stakeholder. They didn't talk to doctors, they didn't talk to pharmacists, everybody was like basically left alone with that new legalization taking place, right, and uh, needed to find or fight their way through. So uh, what basically was is still lacking is access for patients finding a knowledgeable doctor finding a doctor who really knows which strain you are using which thc cbd which terpene profile you are using for which indication data is a huge huge lack in general in the cannabis industry so that's what we're basically doing with one of our companies Algier care solving that need solving access and growing the medical the medical market substantially um, mm -hmm. for for with the granting access to to the market for patients, what happened now, and then we can uh, we can we can switch to the to the recreational market and the opportunity coming up right now. Um, we had a, a election in November um, last year, and the new government who is in power now decided that uh, cannabis should be legalized for adult use through licensed shops in Germany. So that was, of course, huge news for the industry. But I, will, I of course, I'm an optimist. I'm an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur in the cannabis space, you always have to be an optimist uh, if, if you are <laughs> an entrepreneur in the cannabis space, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but still, I mean, I, 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 I saw the, the the enthusiasm in the industry of my colleagues. But I was the one telling everybody, "Listen, guys, that will take some time, right? Uh, cannabis yeah. legalization should not happen overnight." So um, we shouldn't make the same mistakes Canada did, the U.S. did, or, for example, um, also Uruguay did uh, in, the, in the past when legalizing cannabis. We should uh, do it right in Germany and should be a role model for the European Union and should be the country who actually has the blueprint for a successful uh, legalization. 
So what I think will happen now, to give you a brief overview of the timeline for legalization in Germany and the biggest uh, domestic uh, cannabis market opening up, is that we need, of course, a draft of the law. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, legalization will not take take place. Obviously, so um, we have a we have a good basis. I would say of the Green Party, which was drafted in 2018 and was declined by the Bundestag, which is one of the houses uh, of the German Parliament in 2020, which solves as a very good basis for that um, draft, right? For the legalization draft. So I think that will be. Quickly, of course, let's not forget we are still in, in the middle of a pandemic. Also in Germany, uh, we have the Russian-Ukraine uh, war right now. Right, So a lot of things to do also for a German uh, government. And um, cannabis legalization is not the focus right now. Nevertheless, I think we can expect a draft probably uh, by in summer, maybe end of summer right? Uh, in Germany. Then this draft needs to be passed through uh, the Bundestag and the Bundesrats, the two houses of, of Germany, and after that, it needs to be implement, implemented. That is the, 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 the national framework that needs to happen or the, natural, the, the national um, road we need to take. But what is also interesting, and I think um, we can get a lot of insights from my colleagues uh, here in that call, is that um, we also have to look at uh, international laws and on international mm -hmm. laws at EU level, right? We mm -hmm. have the UN Single Convention of Narcotic Drugs, where Germany is also part of, Canada and Uruguay, obviously, we're also part of, they just decl declined to follow that uh, UN Single Convention for Narcotic Drugs, and that was it. I don't think that will be the, will be the approach Germany will take. I think Germany will um, do the same approach like Bolivia did with coca leaves, right? Step out and, uh, and step in again, uh, with the permission of legalizing cannabis. And also, there's a timeline to it. So I think um, if you step out and step in again in that convention under the, under the permission that you legalized cannabis, you need to file that in July in every single year. We will not, uh, Germany will not be able to file it in July this year. So I think they will file it ne next next year because you need a law in order to file it. And then you can step out and step back in again in Q1 the following year. So a long story short, I know a little bit complicated and please don't hesitate <laughs> to ask questions. But um, I, I think uh, Q1 2024, to make it short, is um, a realistic timeline for the legalization in Germany. Okay. All right. Wow, I just learned a lot <laughs> yeah, yeah, about yeah. Germany. Yeah, this is, this, that's great. Okay, so so Mexico, we have a 70% confidence interval, 2022 to 2023, plus so the 18 months lag of impl implementation. We have Germany, which, I mean, kudos to you for getting in when there was a thousand patients and now there's mm -hmm. about a quarter million. So um, that's pretty astronomical growth, but still, you know, huge opportunities uh, with, with, you know, 82 million residents to kind of, you know, build into after that. Uh, but 2024 seeming like the, the earliest pathway that we're going to see there. And, and, and then let me ask uh, Nicholas a question around yeah, this yeah. kind of global export opportunity, because, uh, you know, a lot of smart, uh, well-funded teams are uh, establishing operations um, in Colombia, particularly right now. Some thought they could do it from possibly Uruguay. 
with the hopes of exporting to large markets like Germany that are becoming increasingly developed. Um, I know that the GMP quality thresholds are, are a barrier in themselves and that not everyone will be able to meet those criteria, but assuming that they're able to do it, do you think that the German market, the EU will, will eventually open up to those international exports or do you feel that the market more likely will go in the direction of maybe EU um, imports where maybe Portugal and Malta and some of these other markets might, might become providers or do you think Germany will eventually have plans to be kind of self-sufficient in cultivation? I know nobody has a crystal ball, but how do you think that might develop? Medical market or recreational market, John? Both. Both, okay. So uh, when it comes to medical market, I think, uh, like I said before, uh, Europe is gaining its independency um, slowly but surely. Right? And uh, also, of course, uh, Germany is doing that right now, not through domestic cultivation, but through imports from the Netherlands, from Portugal, from Spain, and so on and so forth. Still, I think the opportunity for a recreational market, right, um, for companies based in Colombia, based also in Mexico, if you guys can export and if you can cultivate for for low prices, for low prices, it's definitely definitely uh, interesting for also for German and the European market. So I see a lot of companies also in in Colombia and also South Africa, for example, Lesotho. Um, they don't map EU GMP criterias for the crop, right? They 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 met the criteria for extraction, for example. So they extract the crop under EU GMP, and then export the, uh, the 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 oils, right, or the extracts. But still, uh, I see a pathway, and that's what we also have established uh, through partnerships and also through our portfolio company, Ilio Sante, is that you can cultivate on a GACP, right, and do the final processing steps in Germany, even under the medical umbrella right now, and that's what we are doing actively, um, do the final processing step in Germany, right, under UGMP, and then you can even sell the flowers. I don't want to go into too much details right now because, of course, strictly confidential how we do it. But nevertheless, that is also an opportunity for low-price uh, uh, can cannabis cultivators in other countries outside of the EU to get access to the German market. And also, for example, for U.S. companies in the future, for recreational markets, we see companies like Cookies uh, trying to, trying to uh, come to the, to, the, to the European market, sending their genetics over here. We have a lot of partnerships with companies, for example, in Portugal, who, who cultivate on demand for us so we can take U.S. genetics, for example, uh, bring them as a seed to Germany because we all know fragmented market in the U.S., nobody can export, but bring them as a seed to, to, to Portugal or to the European Union, cultivate them and then satisfy the huge need which is coming up for the recreational market in Germany on the spot, first year 400 tons of demand. So mm -hmm. it's not an issue. It's not, it's not an issue for us to actually sell it, right? Of course, you need the distribution channels. We, we learned that from Canada, um, who, who didn't, who made the mistake, who hadn't have had um, distribution channels when, when legalization came up. But Germany will rely heavily on imports, low price imports, right? Uh, we're targeting 10 euros in a dispensary, which is, a very low price, right? But of course, we have to combat the black market, and we have to we have to dry it up. So we see the opportunity also for U.S. companies under the Bloomwell 
um, the Blue World strategy to, to, to get access to the German market and to the European Union um, because we think we also need it. Otherwise, we cannot satisfy the demand. So quick answer to your question. Yes, I see these companies developing. Yes, I see these markets developing. I see the cultivators developing in South America. I see them in, in, in South Africa. They have a potential to have access to the German market, but they have to partner with the right companies who know how to actually bring that product under the current regulations, if it's medical, if it's recreational, to that domestic market. And also, of course, distribute it, but because bringing a, bringing a product to a market is not the same as actually selling it in that market. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, I, 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 I love hearing just the, the opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, I'm thinking about flour being sold from Mexico into Germany, the the brand transferability. Uh, see someone. I don't know if you had a question, but I also had a question for you. Um, go go ahead, and, and then I'll shoot you a question. I had a comment. I I feel like what Germany's doing um, is 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 what's making it so successful in its growth, um, right? Because that's the cha that's the challenge with Thailand. They're not allowing import. They're not relying on import. Um, and what's happening is. That you know, any existing companies with uh, partnerships with foreigners, you know, foreigners have to come in and utilize the homegrown plant. Um, and, you know, although hemp has been a long staple uh, plant in Asia, um, you know, years before prohibition, um, before, you know, the war on drugs, um, there still needs to be an improvement in process and cultivation in the flower uh, to produce, you know, great quality, safe, stable infused products for the market. And that's that's one of the, you know, it makes me less positive about the Thailand market uh, being fully legalized, you know, uh, in the next five to 10 years, um, mainly because they're not allowing for import. Uh, they are only uh, strict and allowing companies to use homegrown plants and which, you know, limits, uh, limits access, limits, um, you know, supply of demand for you know, the public uh, for medical use, because there's also not that many licensed cultivators yet that have been approved in Thailand as well. And they would, you know, I feel like Thailand would do well if uh, we allowed import, you know, from other countries who have done it, uh, just like Nicholas said, right? You need to learn from other countries who are doing it right, uh, you know, allowing um, experts into the country that could help improve process uh, that could lead to quality plant medicine. And so it, it's so refreshing to hear that because so many countries, politicians, <laughs> parliaments should also be listening and seeing what's happening outside the country. And unfortunately with Thailand, that's one of the big challenges that'll happen with um, entry into market is that you can't use, uh, you know, plants outside of their market. You can only use what's homegrown in Thailand. So C. Simone, you, you are building a, an, Asian oriented brand here in the U S um, with the, the potential to then go back to Southeast Asia. Can, can, can you give us a little or shed a little bit of light into your strategy there? Is there opportunity for brand transferability at some point? Like what, you know, how, how do you plan on accessing that market when it does become available eventually? 
Uh, well, currently we're leveraging our, our network. Um, I've been working with a cannabis lawyer who works within the parliament uh, to change the laws out there in Thailand. Um, there's a bit of a loophole coming up for, you know, companies outside of the country. We've, we've actually had the opportunity to test our products out there already without using Thailand homegrown uh, plants. We've been able to import and test the market, um, which has helped in terms of showcasing the quality of products that could be uh, provided for the market. Um, sticking close to our cannabis lawyer and just watching how policy is changing has helped us uh, have an advantage in entering the market and being prepared to serve that market. Um, given that we've been have we've been given the opportunity to test our products already in the market. But the way we foresee us entering is uh, basically licensing out our formulas. We're going to have to team up with, you know, existing companies over there, um, bring our team over there, you know, license our formulations, uh, license our processes, um, and really rely on our partners to get our products into the market more so than um, us being able to come in and, you know, be first to market. Is, is there some allure uh, that, the consumer in Thailand, you know, for instance, um, would see in in there being kind of a U.S. brand that resonates with them versus a homegrown brand, um, you know, that is born out of Thailand, for instance. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> Southeast Asia as a whole loves Western brands, right? Um, okay. And the fact that Western brands with an Asian focus, uh, you know, resonates with them. Um, being, uh, you know, I'm, I'm of Lao, Thai, and Cambodian descent, so full Southeast Asian girl here, uh, but, you know, <laughs> located in the States. Um, you know, I used to go, go back frequently to Southeast Asia almost every two years before pandemic started. Um, and there's a massive uh, following of Western culture, Western brands, but uh, with AAPI influence. So hmm. they'll meet the, the consumer. Um, well, you know, during our test trial of products into Thailand, uh, they, they already have a, you know, both um, regulated and unregulated clinics running in Thailand, you know, providing uh, options to the public out there and whatnot. Um, and, you know, we did a test of our products up against what's out in the market. And given that a lot of stuff that's in the current market right now in Thailand is synthetic and artificial, there's a big favor in our products, um, you know, a big return in that small little investment of trial, mainly because we were coming from the States. Mm. Uh, you know, it's more credible. You knew that regulations outside of the country were more stringent. Um, you know, we have to follow better, you know, protocols in terms of COA testing, all those things. And so seeing a package from America, even though it's AAPI focused, uh, you know, with that AAPI focus was more favorable than their own homegrown products, homegrown creative products, mainly because they're so influenced by Westerners and uh, the credibility is just there. Right. And, and, and speaking of cookies, you know, a fan favorite here in the U.S., mm -hmm. like, <laughs> What what would be the transferability of a, of a brand like that? Well, uh, I don't know if you guys saw, there was an article out a while ago that Cookies was entering Thailand. Um, and then there's... <laughs> They're already there's there. A, <laughs> yeah, there's actually, what's, what's uh, hysterical in a way is that... Um, you know, people assume when cookies is entering the market, they're bringing cannabis with them. Um, that was kind of the misinformation there. But we also know that cookies is a merchandise brand, 
right? Mm-hmm. They also mm-hmm. sell swag. And that's actually what's happening is uh, they're doing a partnership to kickstart their merchandise in the market for that branding Smart. component. Okay. Um, yeah. And, you know, eventually as the market changes, the regulation changes, then they'll, they'll start putting their footing in the cannabis area. So, 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 I mean, the, the opportunity to export us brands, you know, basically California is the cradle of this industry. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I think around the world, people will be open to, to California brands. One of our last investments with our first fund was, um, can mm-hmm. so, subscribe, you know, can is killing in California. They have the largest market share for beverages. They've expanded to Illinois, to Massachusetts and Arizona. And, and uh, we developed a, a good relationship with the management team, with Jake and, and company, and um, the promise to bring CAN to Mexico. That's how we differentiate ourselves as a fund. Um, just think about CAN. Uh, the, lo- the local market will be enormous, but think about the number of U.S. stores going to the, Rivern- the, the Rivera Maya, going to Tulum, um, you know, Puerto Escondido. You can imagine CAN in Cancun. Is there a better brand? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, I, I can see Jake and Luke hammering out that marketing campaign right now. <laughs> Cancun. So, um, I like so it. So I, I think, you know, uh, the, the opportunity to export brands from the U.S. will be enormous. Yeah, yeah and I mean, if, but it's only Tyler, it's only sorry. brands, right? Guys, it's only brands. It's not you, you can you're not allowed to to like we all know you're not allowed to to export actually cannabis products. But I think it's also the the right approach how cookies uh, does it, and I think a lot of cannabis companies should do the same because I think that's the approach how you can actually destigmatize and also open up a market, right? Because what we all learned in the cannabis industry is that timelines are long, even longer than expected. And what we also all have mm-hmm. learned is that never rely on political frameworks and on politicians, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's why mm-hmm. I, we should take it in our own hands as the cannabis industry and as companies of the cannabis industry and, and do the same approaches like Cookies does, like other companies do, and actually bring some product and even though it's, 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 it's only fashion, right? Still, mm-hmm. it's an approach in the right direction. And it is basically something which, uh, which offers education and which offers interest of the public and, and, uh, and the country, right? And can lead on the long run to, uh, to, to, to legalize cannabis for medical purposes, for recreational purposes. So I think that's very smart. But what we have to mention also is we are talking about imports a lot right? in Thailand, for example, and also Mexico. I think exports are also very important, right? Especially for com- for, for countries. And like we also all know in the can- cannabis industry, and we need to think a little bit different, right? I think that low-income countries, right, um, compared to, for example, the European uh, Union, like Th- Thailand, like Mexico, should go for exports first because then they can create economy of scale right, within their cultivation in the country and can, can scale it up and can actually lower the price for the domestic market. So I agree with Ben, like you mentioned at the beginning, Germany is weather-wise, of course, not the best place to grow cannabis. <laughs> but it's cold, course, it's cold. <laughs> of course, in Germany, we have also 
like you also know, we have a lot of indoor cultivation and we will have in the future, but nevertheless, which is way more, more important than the bad weather in Germany, is the high electricity cost and the high cost of labor, right? So that's mm -hmm. why in Germany, the prices will never met, Mexican prices will never met at, at prices in Thailand. That's why I see huge opportunity for these emerging cannabis markets to develop when they allow exports, to have economy of sale, to, 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 be, to, to, to build market-leading companies, generate own genetics, um, att attract investors, attract funds, go public, right? Um, get some money into, uh, into the domestic cannabis industry. And after that, uh, you know, um, take care of the domestic market. Amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting this image of a global cannabis market where we're taking brands out of California and cannabis out of, out of Mexico and well, sending it to Germany and, and Thailand eventually <laughs> when, when Thailand gets on board. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, if, if you're traveling to Thailand as a tourist and you see cookies hoodies, don't get so excited to go light up. It sounds like you might get arrested. Um, Speaking of arrested, um, in Germany, in Mexico, what's the current status from like an enforcement perspective? Is is it decriminalized, or do we have to worry about getting arrested as consumers? Um, you know, what's what's the current status, uh, John? Let's let's start with Mexico. Today, you can carry up to a certain number of grams and really not face any consequences. Um, I it hasn't been. Um, uh, set in stone from a legal perspective, but it's a matter of enforcement. Uh, you know, maybe not as much as the, as California or some other states that have a longer tradition of, of cannabis consumption. But I would say that for the most part, uh, you know, people will turn a blind eye to uh, minor consumption. But, uh, you know, uh, the, the distribution, uh, the wholesale, anything that reeks of an operation uh, is still being persecuted. And as you know, it's, there's a very violent war against uh, the drug gangs. Uh, ironically, you know, Mexico was at the forefront of, of cultivation and production. Some of the most uh, innovative strains initially came from Mexico. And I think with U.S. legalization, a lot of the, the, the top strains and a lot of the quality went to the U.S. Um, so curiously, I wonder at this point if there's more product coming from California to Mexico than the other way around. Uh, mm. But I'm sure some of the cheaper production is satisfying the local market. And, you know, there's still a very active war against that. Um, but as far as personal consumption, I think as long as uh, you're not um, calling too much attention to yourself, it, it pretty much goes under the radar. Excellent. All right. And Nicholas, what about in Germany? Yeah, um, in Germany, if you get pursued or uh, uh, prosecuted, if you if you have a minimal amount of cannabis with you, right? For example, um, from the police, you also get charged, but uh, the state attorney um, drops the charges if it's a little amount of of, of cannabis, right? And uh, you don't you don't actually sell it to somebody else or something, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it's kind of there's no real um, real charges against you, but still it's very expensive for the government in Germany to do so because you have to pay the police, you have to pay the state attorneys, and that's all taxpayers' money. That's why I think legalization is also. Uh, the best way to go or decriminalization of, of small amounts also as a first step 
but of course the only right way uh, like like I told you before is, is, is complete national legalization in Germany which will happen excellent excellent okay we're gonna take a brief intermission so we can catch a breath and think about our finishing moves Welcome back, folks. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, just as is with every other show, Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves is the part of our show where our international guests can talk about anything they wish, cannabis or otherwise. So uh, let's start with, start with John. John, what's your finishing move? Thank you, Ben. I'll be succinct. Um, I think you have all types of listeners in your podcast. Um, you know, I love what you guys are doing, and I know that you have consumers, investors, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, company employees. Um, but I'd like to leave a call to action, maybe for for two of your um, audiences. Uh, one is for anyone investing in the space or thinking about investing in the space. I think that we're in an inflection point and in a unique moment in history where I can't imagine another asset class that can generate the types of returns that we're expecting to generate in this industry. I think uh, if you've been following the podcast, you know how these markets are growing. It's a $60 billion market in the US that's quickly moving to legal channels. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the friction in getting these markets uh, started in Germany and Mexico and Southeast Asia. But you know, it's just a matter of time. Um, we're we're maybe I don't know anywhere between four to eight years behind the U.S. by 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 some um, um, definitions of time. But um, but now is the time. There's such a thing as being too early to the industry. And I think if you invested in 2010, 2012, when everything was just beginning, it would be it would be pretty frustrating to see how long it's taken for it to develop. Even though we're going in the right direction. But I think that if you sit out at this moment in time, you you are really uh, losing the potential to participate when this global industry is is about to take off. And there's so many data points uh, to warrant that. Um, you're seeing uh, everything that's going on the regulatory front in the U.S. You're seeing the contributions to the economy. You're seeing how these MSOs are performing. I mean, can you imagine the top MSOs in the U.S. growing, you know, on average more than 100 percent? Um, EBITDA margins improving. How many industries have that top line growth, that kind of operating margins? Many of them are going on track to free cash flow. And in many cases, they're trading below four times revenue, less than eight, nine times EBITDA. 
Um, it doesn't make sense. And the reason that's happening in the U.S. right now is because there's a lack of institutional investors. So there's a unique opportunity for investors. And my call to, to action is, you know, take advantage of it. Go in the market now because it's not a 10-year thing. You know, we can debate whether it will take uh, two, three, four years to get some kind of federal legalization in place. But even if that doesn't happen, the fundamentals of these companies and a lot of the private companies that we're investing in as a, as a fund, it's really creating a unique opportunity for returns. And so that's one thing. And then the other call to, to arms are, you know, there's enough to do in your home markets right now where I know that the success to being an entrepreneur often is to focus and you should focus on your core markets and there's enough to do in the US. And Nick is now looking at the at, at the German market and he has enough to do there. Um, and um, and so does um, Sisamona. She's uh, creating a, a brand for both the US and eventually Southeast Asia. Um, but I think you have an eye, you have to have an eye towards these international opportunities because down the line, I think who can ever seize the, the opportunity to export brands to places like Mexico, um, secure um, access to um, cultivation and GMP uh, quality production from the right partners. You know, if you're one step ahead of the game, I think uh, you'll, you'll have competitive advantages to win in the long term. And, uh, you know, as a fund, that's what we aim to do. We're looking for extraordinary companies outside of Mexico so that we can deliver great returns. But we want to partner with the best brands, with the best technologies and help them establish a foothold here um, and, and help them take advantage of this market, both from an internal consumption perspective and also for the opportunity to export and, and create operations from here to, to supply the world. So that would be my, my, my two call to arms. I love it. I love it. Wow. Um, kind of like pump me up inside, John. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, it, it's, it is a journey, right? Um, I entered the space in, in 2015 and, you know, as you mentioned, it's just, it's not been as, as quick or as easy as everyone thought it would be. Um, but to feel that inflection point and have it reiterated, um, feel, feels good. And yeah, as everyone knows right now in the U S market, it's, it's a buyer's market. Um, so get out there and get some, some discounted, uh, stock if anything, um, and, and watch it go back up. So, all right. I, I like the optimism. That's a good, good way to start. Uh, Nicholas, let's, let's move to you. What's, uh, what's your finishing move? So, um, thanks Ben. And, uh, great, great remarks, uh, John, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, like I said before, Germany will be the biggest domestic cannabis market in the world when becoming recreational in 2024. What is very important for us is that we implement laws and we implement frameworks that actually work and that we will learn from the mistakes Canada made for the mistakes the U.S. is still making with a fragmented market. Right? We need to implement it correctly and without doing that, we are, will not be able to drain the black market in, in Germany. And we, we as an industry and also Bloomworld Group as the leading cannabis company in Germany needs to take the lead here and needs to sit down with lawmakers, with politicians, with police in order to establish the right framework to make it, to make it work on the long term. Right. Uh, what is important in Germany is that we will have that we have distribution channels that we have uh, supply channels ready when the recreational market comes up so that we have product and we have product that actually gets to the customer customer for that reason. We also recently closed uh, the biggest uh, seed investment round in the European cannabis space uh, in November 2021, last year. 
And with that seed investment round, it, it was led by Measure 8, um, uh, Boris, Boris Jordan, who is the founder of uh, Cureleaf. I think you guys know him, mm -hmm. actually joined our board, which is very important for us also in Germany because he actually did exactly the same thing with Cureleaf, being a medical company, becoming a recreational company, right? also uh, in the US market. And that's what where we can learn from. So uh, my call to action is also for companies in Germany and also for investors and other partners overseas is that we need your input also. We need your learnings from the US, from Canada. Get in touch with us. I think a cannabis company who is not active in Germany in the future and also cannabis investors who are not active in Germany in the future will not play an important role because I think a call to action here, um, we need to do this together and we need to find the right framework in Germany, do it correctly, and then we will have a blueprint for the European cannabis industry and also for the global industry. So get in touch and let us let us um, develop the biggest domestic cannabis market together. I love it. Man, that also pumped me up. All right, we're going to connect offline. We're going to talk about getting infused beverages and fast-acting products into Germany. Um, a little plug for Vertosa there. <laughs> um, excellent. Very good. Last but not least, C. Uh, Simone Papon, what is your finishing move? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And it was great to be in this conversation with um, three very intelligent and very insightful men. Um, I, my finishing move, I want to talk about how education, cannabis education is such an important tool for entry uh, and growth of a market. I want to shine a little bit of a light on a project I've been working on for the AAPI community. Um, you know, while global acceptance of cannabis is growing, we still see this need to destigmatize, educate, and guide our AAPI community, um, especially older generations, non-English speakers about the wellness of benef wellness benefits of cannabis. So uh, myself and and Eunice Kim, the CEO of HiBuy, we've partnered up to launch an AAPI education campaign for AAPI Month uh, here in the States. Uh, given that you know it's it's a great month to celebrate the community, we've created a beginner's guide on conscious consumption. A uh, consumption, the book provides basic cannabis knowledge, and it's actually translated in twelve different Asian languages. Um, it's the first educational tool that will be able to speak to different uh, ethnic tongues like. Urdu, Hindi, Laos, Thai, uh, Korean, Japanese. We'll be launching that for the Asian market, uh, the Asian communities this May. It's a simple, short, and sweet educational book that serves as a stepping stone to destigmatize the plant, uh, provide more basic education for Asian community, allow more candid conversations, welcome plant medicine with an open mind, and really uh, allow people to accept the plant as a medicinal option uh, for improving their health and wellness. And so uh, look forward to that coming in May. Uh, look forward to using it as a tool to break into different markets, different countries, and just educating the masses. Amazing. I love it. And frankly, it feels just long overdue. I feel like the canvas plant deserves a, a, a place in the home remedies and just the, the culture of, of Asian medicine and wellness. Um, it's just like such an obvious, obvious tool uh, for the community. So uh, something, you know, that at Vertosa, we're, we're, we're proud to be supporting with you and, and excited for, for the campaign. Uh, you have, what, like 40 or 50, like, amazing uh, women leaders from the cannabis space representing? 
over 45 uh, Asian women in cannabis leaders, as well as AAPI-owned cannabis brands supporting the uh, the campaign. Aside from Bertosa, you've had, you know, Canopy Growth supporting Metal. You have Sunday School. You will have Loon in there. Um, we have a, a lot of great brands behind the project. And there's, there's so much of a big collective of Asian leaders in the space that I wasn't even aware of before this project. Uh, and I'm excited to see all of the events, all, all of the press and uh, the great stuff that'll come out from this project. Wow. She's Amonia, you should you should talk to Anna. Anna Kubalan is my sister. She is yeah. uh, the first female founder in the cannabis space in Germany. So maybe it's good to join forces. Oh yeah. I mean we can launch we can launch a highlight feature on the women up uh, in cannabis in Germany too. Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. Great. All right. You guys are amazing. I am so blessed to be able to share this time with you to kick off my 420 uh, talking about the international cannabis market. It's inspiring to just know how far we've come as an industry and movement over the last 10 years, um, which for some people sounds like a long time, but really it's just like mountains have been moved and uh, so much momentum and opportunity that, that lay ahead uh, as I said before, I'm reinvigorated, and so I, I couldn't think of a better way to, to kick off uh, my 420 holiday. Uh, C. Simone Papone of Kun Pu, John Farrell of Yaks Capital, and Nicholas Kuparanis of Bloomwell Group. Thank you guys so much. I, 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 I can't express uh, how grateful I am uh, for you guys, the work that you do, and the time you spent here today. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, everyone. Happy Thanks, 420. Happy 420. Thank you, guys. Amazing. Thank you to Shay and the team for their production work. That makes us all sound so darn good. And Overclock Remix for the amazing tunes. Thank you to all of our sponsors for their generosity and keeping our mics and lights on. And of course, thank you, our awesome listeners. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes so that other cannabis nerds can tune in and stay current on the latest industry news. Most importantly, Marijuana World. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Marijuana Today and that you have an international marijuana tomorrow. One take, Shay. One take.